invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to James chapter 2 for the reading of God's Word. James chapter 2, I'll be reading verse 1 to verse 13. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1200. Let us remember that James speaks to Christians, Jewish Christians, most likely. That seems to be the case, even as we work through the words of these sacred writings, that he's speaking to Jewish Christians, and he speaks to those who have been brought forth by God by the word of truth, or through the word of truth, the means of God's word. So they have been born again, given new life. And here at chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, we have an exposition, an application of the previous verses that we find in chapter 1, particularly verses 26 and 27, which says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, not, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Hear and act what God teaches. Practice the word of truth that has already been implanted in your heart when God called you to saving faith. And in the Roman Empire, widows and orphans were those who were truly helpless and hopeless. The world shows partiality and makes distinctions between classes of people between those of different skin color, between socio and economic classes. The Hindu system has the class caste system. Every culture has its distinctions among the people. Our Father in heaven, however, does not show distinction. He shows no partiality. He is no respecter of persons because he knows your heart and my heart. Our Father in heaven cares deeply for the widow and orphan. He cares deeply for the helpless and hopeless. In fact, it is littered throughout the Old Testament. If you like to look at a concordance, or go on Bible Gateway and type in orphan and widow. Count how many times you see it in Deuteronomy. See how many times you see God caring for widows and orphans in the Psalms. In the book of Exodus. James It's pointing us to kingdom living. The more I study this letter, 
the more I realize how much is related to kingdom of Christ living. What does it look like for a Christian to live in Christ's kingdom before a watching world? And so we would do well to listen carefully to James. God's law shows us God's heart for the helpless and hopeless. And so you, Christian, imitate your Father in heaven. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. And this is the context that we bring into chapter 2. Let us now hear God's word, beginning at verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thus far the reading of God's word may it is blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ the true story of a pastor who was walking to his office at the church. And as he was going to the church, he noticed neighborhood kids riding their bikes around the parking lot, playing, and he struck up a conversation with these young boys, about eight, ten years old. At the end of the conversation, the pastor invited them to attend church services why don't you come and join us, he said. We'd love to have you. One of the boys said to the pastor, Oh, we can't do that. You guys are the, the fancy church. The fancy church? What do you mean? We don't have fancy clothes like you guys. We don't have fancy cars like you guys. I don't even own a suit. My parents can't even afford a suit. True story, eight, ten years old. Now that's their perception. That's what an eight or ten-year-old mind is thinking. Whether real or imagined, that's what they said. They assumed 
They assume that the congregation shows partiality, favoritism. I'll get back to the story. But what is partiality? What is favoritism? You see, James warns the, warns the congregation of Jesus Christ of showing partiality or favoritism in the church. And the Greek word for partiality comes from a Hebrew idiom, which means to receive the face. And it was used in common greetings. So, for example, if you go to, you see somebody coming into an assembly, a congregation, and the moment you see a person coming in and you put your face down, you have shown partiality. But when you receive a face, when the person lifts his face up and looks at the person, that person is showing honor and esteem to the one who has entered. Are you following me? Are you following me? In other words, the person who puts his face down is making a distinction. It's showing favoritism to the one who may be not like him. But when he sees somebody else, his face goes up. Oh, hey, how you doing, Joe? Come on, come over here, sit over here. But walks past this other person, puts his face down. No acknowledgement. That's where this Hebrew idiom comes from. That's what it means to show partiality. And James confronts it. Because partiality means to make distinctions or judgments about a person based on one's outward appearance. Outward appearance. And that's what he describes in these verses. He confronts the sin of partiality, partiality within the Christian context, the Christian assembly. And he says first that faith in Christ shows no partiality. Every person should receive the face. Every person. James says, my brothers, remember he's speaking to the church, brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Or I think better translated, the glorious Lord. The glorious Lord. Take note of that, how he uses Lord. Because Jesus is king. He is the glorious king, the glorious Lord of all. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who hears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. In other words, you're my slave. Slaves sit down at the feet of the masters in those days. There's a serious problem. A serious problem. The church shows favoritism towards the wealthy in society. 
because they hold high status and prestige among the people. The poor people, they don't have much to contribute to the congregation. They're not going to give the congregation a standing within society, within the world, because they have nothing to offer. Think about Jesus. Remember, as we've been working through James, we've been seeing how James and his writings and teachings are so parallel to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about Jesus, how he calls out the, the, the rich Pharisees. They were ones who loved money and did what they could to get more of it. And Jesus rebukes them. He says, woe to you Pharisees because you desire the best seats in the synagogue. The word assembly actually comes from synagogue. You desire the best seat, the best place of honor in the synagogue with your tassels, your fancy suits, your fancy dress. You want to be noticed. You want everybody to show you the face but you don't show the face to the helpless and hopeless. Hypocrite. Faith in Christ shows no favoritism because such an act is contrary to the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. It is contrary to to the gospel of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think that Jesus Christ shed his precious blood for his people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, rich, poor, whatever class of society one comes, Jesus paid for their sins. And therefore, the expression of one's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Lord, should not express itself in the life of the congregation. Because in the gospel, in Jesus Christ, there is neither Greek nor Jew. There is neither circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. There is neither female nor male. Christ is all and in all. Faith in Christ means that your identity is in Christ and not in your class. Not the color of your skin. Not in your sex. But is in Christ. And faith in Christ shows no partiality because we view one another the way Christ views you and me. When you see somebody come in who loves Jesus and is not like you, he is your brother and sister. Whether you like it or not, he is your brother and sister. Does not faith in Christ transform everything about life? Doesn't it blow all of your categories away, your discriminatory categories away, my discriminatory, discriminatory categories away? I confess to you, I make distinctions in my own heart. I make judgments in my own heart that I need to repent of? 
and know God's forgiveness in Christ daily? Faith in Christ shows no partiality because every Christian is a child of God with the same rights and spiritual blessings from above the Father of lights. Notice, notice the context. God's goodness here. The one from whom every good and perfect gift comes from above. Will we give up our sacred seats in the sanctuary? Those sacred cows in our sanctuary that we have made sacred? Will we give up our sacred pew in the sanctuary for others? You see, what's at the very heart of partiality, James describes. If you look with me in your Bible at verse 4, James tells you what's at the very heart of partiality. Have you not then made distinctions? That is judgments. You made a judgment call. Have you not made a judgment call among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In other words, it goes back to what he said earlier, how sin comes about in the human heart. Do you remember? Look with me in your Bible. Chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That distinction is created in the heart, and it manifests itself in one's actions, and it brings about death. Congregations die. Congregations die because they make these distinctions. They do not love people. Listen. We believe preaching is the center of worship. Yes and amen. Preaching is essential to worship. Preaching is essential, the center of the life of the body of Christ. But if you have not love, if faith in Christ shows partiality and knows no love, it is a dead church. The motive is evil thoughts and desires of the heart. James warns them and rebukes them because they make distinctions between the people of God based on outward appearance and prestige. Young people, you know this well. In fact, if you're an adult, you know this when you were young. You go to school, the first day of school. You're already making distinctions, aren't you? He's going to be my friend. He's not going to be my friend. And you base that off of what? Outward appearance. And maybe your parents say, well, why don't you get to know the person before you make a judgment? We're always making the distinctions. Sometimes unknowingly. 
We make judgments about others merely looking at the outward appearance or family background. Someone sins. Faith in Christ shows no partiality because faith unites us to Jesus, the glorious Lord, and it also invites or unites us to one another. For our identity comes from God and not external circumstances or successes. Paul commands Timothy, listen carefully, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. 1 Timothy 5, verse 21. In other words, in your ministry, Timothy, preach, teach, and so act indiscriminately because of love for God and Christ, His Son. But be careful. Be careful here. I need to be careful here. Because the sin of partiality can exist both ways. Just ask the liberation theologians who believe Jesus came only for the poor and looked down upon the rich, materially rich. The rich who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ may be shamefully treated, dishonored by the poor. That too is the sin of partiality. Faith in Christ shows no partiality. Secondly, God shows no partiality. Verse 5, listen my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs or in inheritors of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? God shows no partiality. The outward appearance of man and his success, that is his wealth, cultural status, social position, family background, education, beauty, intellect, does not sway God's view of things. It may sway man's opinion of man, but it does not sway God and his opinion and view of you, Christian. Is that not comforting? Teenage girls need to hear this. Young girls, young ladies need to hear this. Your outward appearance does not change, will never sway God's view of you because you belong to Jesus. When it comes to God appraising a person's character and worth, when it comes to God appraising a person's character or worth, he is impartial. He does not show partiality. He chose the weak and poor in the world to become rich spiritually in Christ. He chose the weak and the poor in the world to be inheritors of the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, says Jesus. They are, in fact, inheritors of God's kingdom, and therefore do not treat them shamefully. Do not treat them shamefully, for they are the ones for whom Christ died and purchased and an eternal inheritance for them. If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I preached on this not too long ago, verses 26 to 31. Paul speaks of this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He didn't choose you based on your worldly status, your worldly position. In England right now, they're talking about how the king is going to give certain titles to the princes. Yippee! What land they're going to own. What crown they're going to wear. Rust. Moth. If Hurricane Ian is any indication, an example for us, things can be lost in a moment. And as I mentioned last time, we are held accountable to God the judge. How does he view you? Are you rich in faith? Do you trust in Christ? Do you boast in the Lord? James rebukes the assembly publicly because they patronize the rich and do not condemn their behavior. Remember here, the rich are not the rich just materially. These, when, when he talks about the rich, he's talking about the rich who are greedy for money. That's who James and Jesus are talking to, are talking about. Because we know that there are many rich people whom God loves, those who are his children. But he's talking about those who oppress, who drag into court, who are the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called in verses 6 and 7. But you have dishonored, that is, you have treated shamefully the poor man. You have treated them like dogs. Oh, here are the crumbs. Go after the crumbs. They were second-class citizens on a fancy ship. Oh, you go below deck with the luggage, with the animals, while you go on the upper deck with the, with the fancy and rich. They were making those distinctions. This in no way reflects the holiness of God, the one who shows no partiality. If you're taking notes, Romans chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. Galatians chapter 2, verse 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. God shows no partiality. And therefore be imitators of God. And we also see God showing no partiality and His judgment quite visibly in the church of Jesus Christ. Consider the body of Christ. Consider the makeup of the body of Christ throughout the world. Consider every tribe, tongue, and nation, rich, poor, who are called by Christ, who love Christ, and who are His own prized possession and inheritors of His kingdom. And so look past the outward appearance and man's success. 
and view people the way God views people. He sees them as he sees Christ, his own son, and that's how we are to view and treat others. 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance, do not look on Saul's appearance or on his height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Heart. God shows no partiality. Lastly, thirdly, the royal law of Christ condemns partiality. You see, faith in Christ shows no partiality because God shows no partiality. And the royal law condemns partiality. You see the flow of James here? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, says James, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The perfect law here that we see in chapter 1 is now called the royal law. Kingdom imagery here. The royal law of who? Of Christ. Because Christ is king of the kingdom. And he is the one who taught us you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the sum of the law. He says, if you love me, you will keep, you will obey my commandments. This is the royal law. Love one another. And when we break one commandment, we break them all. Think of love your neighbor as yourself as that umbrella. And under that umbrella, you have every other commandment. Once, that, once one sin is broken, they're all broken because what? Love your neighbor has been broken. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And James is thinking again similarly to Jesus' teaching how he expounds on this. Even if you lust, you have committed adultery. Even if you hate your brother or sister, you have murdered. Because James, like Jesus, is going to the heart and every person, every person will be judged, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what he has done. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Judged according to the royal law of Christ reflects God's character and holiness. The royal law is our guide to gratitude and holy living. And because of this, it's the law of liberty. We've known freedom from sin, death, and hell through faith in Jesus. And now we are enabled, we are freed by the Spirit to live out lives of love. No longer in bondage. Because God had mercy on us. He remembers our sins no more. We are no longer judged according to to the law and condemned. No, we are judged according to Christ and His perfect work. And because of His perfect work, we have been justified, made right with God, and set free. Set free to now live our lives in gratitude to God. 
we are learning to love one another. Learning how to give a face, how to receive the face to our neighbor and not show partiality. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. The word there for triumph also means exalt or boast, but I like this. Mercy speaks loudly over judgment. You have not been judged according to what your sins deserve. You have received mercy from God. Therefore, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful towards you. Because mercy speaks loudly over judgment, making distinctions. Again, James, following the teachings of Jesus, when the kingdom of God comes into your heart, Christian, he begin, the, person, the Christian begins to imitate his Father in heaven and practice mercy. Because, friends, God saw our pitiable condition. He saw our miserable condition. He saw our spiritual poverty and said, Christ, who was rich, but became poor for us, so that in Him we might become rich. Imitate your Father in heaven, not to earn salvation, but in gratitude to your Maker and Creator and Redeemer. You see, friends, mercy is a mark of the Christian, a true mark of the Christian. And when we, we commit the sin of partiality, we cross the line. We transgress, which means crossing the line from loving our neighbor to now hating our neighbor. That's what transgressing means. To cross the line from loving our neighbor to hating our neighbor. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And friends, the world's idea of mercy is actually cruel, isn't it? The mercy of the Christian is good and pure and holy and righteous because it is from God. But the world's idea of mercy is cruel. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10 says, The mercy of the wicked is cruel. What they think or deem to be mercy is actually evil and cruel and making distinctions. They say they care about mercy, equity, and justice, but they actually hurt the ones that they say they care about. Most recently, a prominent person in office decided to say that only those of skin, certain skin color should receive benefits from the federal government first. The church of Jesus Christ promotes and practices mercy to all sinners without distinction, indiscriminately reaching the lost sinner with the gospel message in both word and deed and calls all people, rich and poor everywhere, to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from your sins and the wrath of God to come. Because wrath is a coming. Christ is building his church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. His church is called to show no partiality, to fulfill the royal law of Christ, the law of love thy neighbor. And when we trespass the royal law of Christ, when we do not love our neighbor as ourselves as he calls us to, we repent, we turn, we cry out to God, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we receive God's pardon. We receive God's grace. And we sing as the, psalm, the songwriter once penned, Forgive us, Lord, for works undone. God is not done with his church yet. He is molding and shaping Emmanuel United Reformed Church to be a body of believers who loves God, loves our Lord Jesus Christ, loves the word of God, the word of truth, and loves one another. Because if you have not loved, you're nothing but a gang symbol says Paul, says God. Does not James have a message for us today? How will you in your individual lives love your neighbor as yourself? Will you show your face, to use the Hebrew idiom, to your neighbor? Or will you put your face down and dishonor your neighbor. What did the pastor say to the boys? The pastor said, Oh no, not at all. Jesus wants you to come and worship. Come as you are. Because worship is about Jesus, not about dress. Jesus cares about your soul and not about your clothes. Yes, people like to come dressed up and honor God in that way. But that's their prerogative. That's what they want to do. But they know, the people who dress that way know that it's about Jesus. The pastor said, at least he hopes that's what they know. So come, come as you are, and meet the people. Meet the people. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, poor wretched blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, Yea, all I need in thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Is that not your desire to come and being received by Christ? Not because of outward appearance, but because of what he has done in your heart. Remember that. Let us remember to view one another the way Christ 
The way the Father views us. He has mercy upon us and is gracious to us and is abounding in steadfast love. Let us be the same to one another. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for having mercy upon us, for not judging us according to your righteousness, your righteous law, but looking to your Son, the one who paid it all, and the one who placed all of our sins upon him, and he was judged according to law. He himself became a curse for us, so that in Christ, through faith in his name, we are free and forgiven, and you love us and care for us with an incomprehensible love that is deep and wide and great and abounds forever. May we, O Lord, learn daily what it means to love our neighbor. May we learn daily what it means to not show partiality, to not make distinction with evil thoughts. May you, O Lord, do such a transforming work in our hearts that we view each and every Christian, each and every person, each and every neighbor the way you view them as sinners in need of Jesus. Father, we pray that where we have failed, where we have sinned, committed the sin of partiality, we would bring them to you and receive your pardon, your forgiveness, and mercy as we, O oh Lord, confess once again that we are cleansed and made white as snow by the precious blood of Jesus. And so we claim not our righteousness, but that righteousness which is foreign to us, the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his precious name we pray.